Hey, Job. Hey, Job. Hey. Okay. <laughs> Second time's a charm. All right, so um, I, I, you didn't hear me scream. Hey, again, Discord's weird. Like, no, I didn't hear you say anything at all. The recording you software. Want to do this again? No, no, you're fine. The recording software caught me yelling, "Hey, again!" Because I stretched back on my chair while I was yelling, uh, "Hey, again!" And I guess Discord didn't pick it up. But you know, it's okay. No, no, you know, no, no, no. you know, it's fine. The, the, yeah, the kids Discord will hear it. <laughs> anyway, let's do over. <laughs> hey, Job. Hey, again. Was just uh, wondering if you were considering uh, this Xbox Series S. I almost said the Xbox One S. That's how bad the console names right, are. Right, yeah. Uh, I was wondering if you were considering this uh, cool um, $25 a month plan they got going where you can buy the console uh, for 25 bucks a month, but you, I think you also still get uh, like the Xbox Live and Games Pass with it. Yeah. During that? Yeah, it, that, that's like a pretty cheap option. Are you considering that as a as a gamer person? No, <laughs> no, only only because. OK, the only reason yeah, I, right. I say no personally. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying this is a fantastic deal um, for okay. anybody who feels like they can't come up with the money up front. They could at least pay it over time. That's awesome. You're obviously going to end up paying more for the console. That's how Xbox makes their money. But it's it's great for you know anyone looking to tap into the next generation and they don't have the money you know that much money per at a time and they can't get you know four hundred dollars together or whatever it is during a pandemic right i think it's a tremendous deal yeah, 25 bucks a month for you know until you have fully paid it off right three hundred dollars the only reason um, i'm not doing it personally uh-huh is because i have no interest in getting an xbox that's fair. I wish Sony was doing something similar to this, though, yeah. because this is very interesting. The payment plan for console. Right. Yeah, but, well, Sony just kind of went like, fed, let everybody to the wolves and then like, put no restrictions on retailers, just putting pre-orders out early. And then that, that just completely fucked everybody, including, uh, which uh, I, I'm going to say ahead of time, sorry, Rachel, that's my girlfriend, um, including uh, online, because I, uh, I got spoiled on, on what I think is my birthday present from my girlfriend, because she was on Twitter tweeting. I saw her tweeting under Wario sixty four posts, complaining about not being able to pre order a PS five. <laughs> nice try. Too bad they only made three of them. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, here's a here's a That's here's so a suggestion. <laughs> what if I told you? There was an item you could purchase in a very similar manner. It's three hundred dollars, and you can you could purchase this right now. There's no bad pre-order shenanigans. It's available now in stores around the country, and you can sign up for a fifty dollar a month plan to pay off this three hundred dollar uh, device. It's not from Microsoft. It's it's not from Sony. It's from Home Depot. But it looks like a ton of fun. What is uh, it? Uh, this is a skeleton that is 12 <laughs> foot tall. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the, the 12 foot giant skeleton with life eyes. Uh, that is a brand name. I, I don't know what that means necessarily. Um, it is a spooky sounding thing. Uh, so, you know, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're little 
blurb here says it makes a spine tingling centerpiece for Halloween. It's got animated LCD eyes that create a creepy effect and it's designed for indoor or outdoor use. I don't know how it's designed for indoor use when it's 12 foot tall, but you know, it's good that you have options. And I think this is a great alternative to Microsoft and Sony's holiday outings this year um, because it's a 12 foot skeleton and who couldn't use one of those in their home. Um, it, it is big. It's really big. Nothing is meant for your yard, not your home. Everybody? Just put it in your den. <laughs> Just like he hovers over you as you eat dinner <laughs> and watches you with his life eyes. As he's crumped so, up to the ceiling because it's too short for the fucking for the ceiling in your home, which is like probably a little under twelve feet tall. I would hope, unless you're like a Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know if your ceilings are that fucking tall. But anyway, um. <laughs> So I, I've been intrigued by this thing for a while now. I just haven't talked about it on here. Uh, I've seen footage of people seeing it at Home Depot and they're just like, holy shit. Cause like, you know, just hearing about the 12 foot skeleton doesn't really hammer home to your eyeballs, how big it is. It's really big. It's bigger than you even think. Like, I know you think, you know, how high 12 feet is, but until you've seen the thing, I don't really know if you're prepared for it. Cause this happened to me the other day. Cause I saw one, um, in the wild, if you will, <laughs> I'm just driving on a street in my hometown here. And, uh, I had to do like a triple take out my truck window just went like, Holy shit. It's begun. <laughs> the skeleton <laughs> towering over this dude's garage. Uh, <laughs> It's so imposingly tall and uh, $300 is, is an awful lot. Let's be real for a big plastic skeleton, but it is the same price as an Xbox series S. And I just wanted to have that be known <laughs> for the people listening is all I'm saying. You could get Xbox live and games pass and have a lot of fun in your home or you could worry your neighbors a lot by getting a 12 foot tall skeleton to put in the yard. And who really says you have to only have it out for Halloween, the city ordinance, maybe, but try <laughs> <laughs> just have it posted out in, you know, like for Christmas time, give them a little Santa hat. It, it'd be fun for the whole family. I, I think this is a, a fun thing. Head down to the Home Depot. I don't know how you transport it from the Home Depot to your house when it's a 12-foot skeleton. Maybe he can just ride in the back of your truck bed and scare people while you're driving home. I, I don't really know. Uh, maybe you got to screw them together when you get home, like a big haunted Lego <laughs> that you have to get on, on a, on a stepladder to go get to the top for. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Help. Anyway, look this thing up. It is int an interesting thing, and, and maybe you'll see one near you one day out and about when you least expect it, like I did. It's spooky season, and the, the rattle me bones are here, and they're bigger than ever before. <laughs>
everybody, welcome to the Gen and Jub Show. That man over there is Gen. Hey, hi. By over there, he means in another house. And this man over here is Jub. In another house. In another away. house. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about the, the, the good guy, the bad guy. We don't like Oscar commas around here and the ugly guy. Uh, it's, you know, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, if you if you translated the Italian title uh, literally, it would have been the good one, the bad one, and the ugly one. And that made me just keep thinking of uh, the fucking Teen Girl Squad, where he's like the ugly one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we watched uh, one of the best films ever made. Uh, one of my favorites of all time, for sure, and. It slaps <laughs> just as hard as when I first watched it. There's a couple things wrong with it, but it was a film from the 60s. So what are you going to fucking do? Uh, oops. Yeah. Oops. Brown face, Justin. Oops. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm sure there was some that we declined to mention from the previous two films as well. Um because that's just how they were slapdash making these things. Just who gives a shit? It's spaghetti westerns. Let's just throw it all in a pot and put it to boil. Let's go. <laughs> but uh, I think it's still like incredible, despite any like you know modern reservations people would have about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. This is. Fucking fantastic. So I talk about it. Yeah, but, me too. I got more notes than probably the other two movies combined because it's, you know, a lot. the good and the bad and the ugly. Right. Yeah. So I don't really know if we have a whole lot else to talk about. Justin is still moving. Yeah. And getting shit well, my, together. My, my life is a, is, a, is a nightmare filled with uh, just packing and moving boxes for uh, like five different people all at the same time. And, uh, oh boy, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. And I just, I just finished my old job. Just nice. It's, it's weird to technically not be employed for like a week. Yeah, but it's also probably nice to not have to go to what your job was for a week. You That's fucked my cool. job. Nah. Yeah, if you I haven't guessed job. by now, here we are at episode 99. Justin didn't like his job. For the first hundred episodes of this show, correct. Maybe he'll like it for the next hundred. I don't know. Maybe a little better at least. I'll be a little better because at least I'm making more money. Mm-hmm. Hey, <laughs> so that'll help. So, with a lack of stuff to talk about on your end, I'm just going to talk about Tony Hawk some more, and yeah. uh, you'll you're going to deal with it. The only game <laughs> I've played in the last like week or so is Among Us. But I want to yeah, wait until to, you get it uh, right. I want to wait until you have a chance to play it with me, and we could talk about our our experiences playing that fun ass game. Oh yeah, we'll talk about it like three weeks from now. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and then nobody else will talk about it by then. Yeah, ah, whatever. We'll see how it goes. Uh, uh, it's cool to see it become this popular. The game's um, been actually been out for two years. Yeah, I don't know why it's just now becoming popular. It's very strange. Ah, I see. The, the I Among see. Us is an excellent replacement for Mafia slash Wolf. 
Um, anybody has played Mafia before? The wonderful, wonderful party game. Uh, I wasn't aware that it was called Mafia at any point. I've certainly played Wolf. Yeah, Mafia with, is, uh, is is the other incantation of it. Um, it is effectively the same exact game, just uh, with so, a Mafia skin instead of like a you know old timey like werewolf. Like, like, what's the villager werewolf equivalent for Mafia? He's just like Citizen Mafia. So, and then they have like, okay. like a bunch of different roles, like. It's like jailer and like I forget. There's there's a bunch of them. I I I haven't played that much mafia. I've only played it like a couple okay, times. Okay. But it's uh, it's the same exact thing. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah, I mean that that kind of game is very popular. I, I guess you got like Secret Hitler as well. Yeah, that people do. Um, there's a Gary's mod one. I forget what it's called. All right, that's, I didn't know fun. that. Yeah. Of course there is. Gary's <laughs> mod. Um, yeah, well, we'll talk about that once I play it, which might happen going down tonight. I don't yeah, know. It might be. I hope so. Would be cool. Would be cool. Anyway, I'm going to bitch about Tony Hawk a little bit. Whoa, no, I love whoa, that game. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't thought that game was wrong. perfect. Don't fucking... What are you doing? I am enjoying it. I'm not, like, going to hard bitch about it, but I'm going to bitch about it in a nitpicky way. You're in a soft bitch about it. Yeah. This is a soft bitch, not a hard bitch, <laughs> I guess. Um, well, like, all right. To, to get into, like, all right, so I'm at the point of the game where I'm, I'm staring the platinum in the face and going, what? You know, now that I have beat both career modes and did all the challenges for every single skater, what else do you need me to do here? And the game is like, all right, there's 700 something challenges uh, of which there's several different categories. There's ones that are exclusive to playing as certain people. I've done all of those because they're pretty simple. It's just like go back to the levels, get their stat points, get them fully statted up, do all their special tricks. Easy, easy enough to do. Um but now I'm getting to the point where the challenges left available to me are pretty difficult and time consuming. Uh, this is where I'm trying to get every single gap on every single level. And every single level also has something that's known as a get there, which I was not familiar with this concept until this game. I think this is something new that they've invented. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of it before. So get theirs, uh, give you a list of gaps in the level, and you have to string them together into one combo. Mm, um, yeah, that sounds Each level ass. has an easy one and a hard one. You have to do all the hard ones to get a trophy and therefore get the platinum. Um, I am not done with these yet, but boy, have they been frustrating so far. Uh, to the point of madness, <laughs> I've I've seen reports of some people trying to do some of these for like four hours straight. Just one of them. You know what I mean? I, none of them have given me that much trouble, but thankfully now there are guides on the Internet of people who have went through the headache and the hardship 
and I've given like little tips and tricks on how to help you out. Um, Tony Hawk games are no stranger to this kind of shit where it's just like, all right, yeah, maybe you beat the game, but how about getting all this bullshit? Can you do that? Asshole. (laughs) Um, and you know, they'll be like extremely difficult. Like, uh, just for like an example, uh, the one in school two, like there's a goal in school two to grind these three specific rails. And that's the mission for that level. Um, there's one right at the start. Then there's one a little bit of the ways down the line. And there's one like towards the back of the level. So for this get there, you have to string all three of those into one combo. And just skating around the level and looking at it as someone with not a high skill set, you probably think it's impossible to do that because it's lots of manualing and lots of grinding and trying to keep your combo going without fucking losing it. And it is intensely difficult sometimes. There's little tricks and stuff, and people have lines together to help you get through it. But, man, some of them are really tricky. The one on Roswell seems uh, broken, actually, because it requires you to basically jump over the entire center structure in the middle of the level. But it you can't clear it very well. It's basically like one out of ten times you can actually clear it. And that's just one of the things you have to do in the combo. So you have to clear that and then continue your combo and get like five other gaps all throughout the level. But that requires you to do that initial one that is extremely difficult and finicky to do. And that's not really fun in my opinion, when like the ones that I have enjoyed have been gaps that work functionally every time you attempt to do them and they're not finicky and bad the ones that I haven't enjoyed are stuff like the Roswell one where the gap is extremely difficult to even get and get functioning properly. Um, and unfortunately there's a lot of gaps that are kind of weird and wonky, not necessarily the fault of this game. They've always been this way. Yeah. It's kind of a product <laughs> of how it turns but, out. You know, this is something that wasn't in the normal game. This is something that they added in thinking it would be fun to do. And it is. It's a cool idea that extends the life of the game a little further. But I think it's outside of a lot of people's skill set with Tony Hawk and outside of a lot of people's patience with Tony Hawk. And that's unfortunate. I'm, I'm hoping there's expansions to this game down the line as well because i feel like a lot of normal people are probably already tapping out on the game they, yeah. you know they beat the two careers and they're done they're yeah, good yeah, you're getting down to like the people who are truly dedicated staying on this shit now well you know like my dumb ass right but like uh it, it was a little easier in previous games like something like uh let's say underground 2 for instance you could beat the story mode on easy, normal, and hard difficulties and get different rewards every time. And the same would be the true for classic mode. So getting all the stuff in that game was still just playing the base game and getting a little better at it, and it's a little harder each time you play it. 
But this, once you beat the game, you're not really replaying that shit unless you're trying to go for the speedrun goals, which might be my next task. But uh, the last thing I want to complain about here is in order to get the platinum, and I know that this is a specific complaint because, like, not everyone's trying to do that. You have to get to level 100, and you probably think that's not that bad from how it's been leveling up for you so far if you're, like, early in the game. Yes, does it, like... It slows down hard. Yeah, it's basically like it doubles the length of time it takes to get each next level. It feels like it's one of those. So the thing is, you get XP every single time you do anything. Right. When you do a multiplayer match, you get a little bit of XP. When you do a single session, you get a little bit of XP. But it's a little bit. A tiny, insignificant little bit. Um, the only thing that gives you good, significant amounts of XP are the challenges in the game. I'm sitting at about 600 completed out of those 700. I haven't yet finished all the gaps and get theirs, but I'm uh, getting there. No pun intended. Uh And yet. I am at level 71. And I only got 100 challenges left, and I'm not going to be able to do some of them. There's some secret ones that are like bullshit, like get 20 million points on Warehouse or some bullshit like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that good, sir. No, thank you. That I'm not going to be able to do. So how do I get to level 100? Well, I guess grind forever. Or hope that they release new content that gives XP. That's about it. And that frustrates me because you shouldn't be asking that much of the player to get to level 100. I I think it's enough to ask them to beat the games and do all the gaps and do all the get there's. (laughs) Like, like, what's this bullshit about making me grind for hours and hours and hours with trickling XP. I'm not a fan of that. The game's great overall. I love it. It's very close to my game of the year. But in in terms of how to progress and get that platinum trophy, I don't know. Looks like it's going to take a long time, and that's kind of frustrating and bad to me. But that's about it. I don't know. Still a good game. Oh, yeah. I love that game. I haven't had time to play it lately, and I haven't even finished Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 yet because my, my, my life is pain. But I will get there soon. Yeah. I also want to fucking play a goddamn Mario 3D All-Stars, which came out, but I can't afford that shit. Yeah, you can. Just, uh, you know, just use an emulator. And you do, you'd get what Nintendo did. Probably. Ah. I, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know if we talked I about that all three of on games. here or not. Did we talk about that on here? Yeah, we did. That's kind of a rip, ain't it? Like, I mean, I mean, 20 bucks for each game sounds fair, I guess, in concept. But with how little they actually did to the ports and how 
weird this limited editionness of it is. I, I don't know. It's kind of rubbing me the wrong way from Nintendo, and like I don't know if I'm interested in purchasing that. I mean, I don't have a Switch, but like if I did have a Switch, I don't know how interested I'd be in purchasing that. Right. Because I, I, I'm like, oh, okay, it's it's limited, and I have to buy it by April. How about I just don't fucking buy it, in Nintendo? Eh. <laughs> I don't know, fam. It's kind of stupid. I have a sneaking suspicion that once that April date gets, those games are going to come out individually. And they didn't want to tell anybody that because they wanted to have the illusion that they're going to go away so that people buy it. Just come out like 20 bucks each. Yeah, I bet you. I bet you. And then Galaxy 2 as well. Watch it. What a fun little tidbit about that game. This is the cooler part about that game other than it existing, which is, I guess, is okay. Um, Yeah. uh, People who have been, you know, modding and hacking the Switch for a while now broke into that game. And they found inside it a fully functioning GameCube emulator attached to Mario Sunshine. That was developed by HAL Laboratories in Europe. Yo! What? I didn't hear about this. Yes. So, currently modders are working on uh, getting uh, people who have, like, hacked switches to be able to access uh, full-on GameCube games in the emulator through that. They've got a few games That's working so far. cool. Yes, basically what they That's did is they cool. uh, they set it up so basically, because when, when you boot uh, Mario Sunshine in the 3D All-Stars game, it boots this GameCube emulator. So all you have to do is do a workaround, and instead of just booting Mario Sunshine, it boots the emulator as a whole. And then you can pick your game that you have installed hmm. on there. So... That's, that's kind of they've been working on it. So far, you could play Wind Waker. You could play F-Zero GX. That's fucking crazy interesting, yeah, some cool dude. Shit. Some cool, I didn't cool expect shit. that at all. So why is it only the GameCube emulator? Mm. Uh, Kid, like, like, hmm. well, that's the only one they've gotten so far because it's the easiest to obtain. Okay, but like, there's a potential that there's an N64 emulator in there, too. And a Wii emulator. Yeah. Well, probably not a Wii emulator, actually, because Galaxy, they did have to change so it'll work on the Switch. Right, so there's a chance that that's not technically a straight port. Interesting. Yeah, Mario Galaxy might actually be a port of a, to a Switch game. That's probably not a thing, but 64 probably runs off of a fucking N64 emulator that they have on the back end, too. Yeah, perhaps. I, I don't know how touched up it is. It's not, really. Significantly less than the PC... Uh, versions that are happening now with all that leaked info from Nintendo. I mean, like, all you really have to do is, like, basically, like, emulators like Dolphin and shit, too, can upscale these games. Like, oh, like yeah, as far okay. as the GameCube goes, like, you could use Dolphin to upscale a, a game to be, like, 1920 by 1080 and shit, so, like, that's all they did for Mario Sunshine. <laughs> right, I got you. Well, that's pretty cool. And hopefully, uh, it helps, uh, you know, us get better shit in the future for that. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really have anything else to talk about. Do you no, let's get into it. Gonna, this is going to take us a minute anyway. Let's get into this shit. I guess that's very true. Yeah. Let's get it. So, um, the the good and the bad. Uh oh. And uh, Ew, gross. Uh, so yeah, 
the third film in the Dollars trilogy, the one that doesn't have dollars in the title. Um, but it sure had dollars in the box office. Uh-huh. Ooh, ooh. That was a dumb joke. I apologize. Anywho, after two successful films, it was time for Leone, Vincenzoni, and Clint Eastwood to make a bigger film than any of them had ever been a part of before. Now, Vincenzoni, he's the writer attached to the previous two movies. Well, one of many. Uh, So he makes a deal with United Artists. He pitches them a film about three rogues searching for treasure during the Civil War. And uh, they like the idea, and they okay this as the next Sergio Leone spaghetti western. The budget for this film was like nearly double that of for a few dollars more. It was $1.2 Now, that's not even a drop in the bucket today, but for back then, that was quite a bit. So this one was, you know, it had the, the massive upscale in terms of scope compared to the previous two movies in the trilogy. Um, I like the trajectory in terms of setting that we have here. The first movie takes place entirely in one town. Yeah. The second movie is kind of like two towns. You got the El Paso and then the town at the end, and then a couple little surrounding areas. And then the good, the bad, and the ugly is all over the place. Several locations. Like, you really don't spend long in one location before you're on to the next. It's kind of like a road movie in that respect, you know? Yeah. You're constantly going to new locations. Now, granted... In reality, they were using a lot of the same locations. Right, just, just doing different, different sets. areas. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, this, yeah, you, this movie is, is an odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's also reflected in its length as well. Um, this is a three-hour-long movie. Interestingly, if you look up the running time on Google, they think it's a four-hour-long movie. It's not. But... It's funny to me that I like had like a moment of trepidation before I started watching it because I looked up the Google just to see where it's streaming. Yeah, it was on Netflix, yeah. uh, and I, it was like four hours. Oh no, I don't remember it being four hours. I don't remember it being but, three uh, hours. Yeah, so this is interesting, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so the screenplay was written by Vincenzoni in 11 days or so he claims. Um, now before this, however, Vincenzoni recommended comedy writers, Agonore in Cruci and Furio Scarpelli. I don't know. I'm going to butcher these Italian names. Uh, he recommended this, this comedy duo to Sergio Leone to do some additional script work on the film, but they were comedy writers. So, Leone hated it. Right. He hated it a lot. Uh, His quote is, I couldn't use a single thing they'd written. It was the (laughs) grossest deception of my life. (laughs) So I think partially because of this, Vincenzoni claims that his relationship with Leone, which was a successful one with three films that they worked on together here, deteriorated. And after writing this script in 11 days, 
he left the project. Uh, now, Leone touched up the script himself, much like the previous films in the trilogy, but I guess their writing partnership is over. Um, it, it, it's just an interesting tidbit to think about, because weirdly, this movie is kind of funny in many regards. Yeah. But it's not a straight comedy by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it's funnier than the previous two, for sure. It's got some wackier situations. Definitely. Now, this movie takes place during the Civil War, which is a great setting and a great backdrop for the entire movie. Uh, Now, Leone kind of wanted to to have an anti-war message throughout the entire movie. Uh, According to him, quote, he wanted to, quote, show the absurdity of war, the civil war, which the characters encounter. In my frame of reference, it is useless, stupid. It does not involve a good cause. So Leone was a history buff, and he wanted to show that both sides of the conflict were guilty of war crimes. Uh, Quote, I had read somewhere that 120,000 people died in southern camps such as Andersonville, but I was not ignorant of the fact that there were camps in the north. You always get to hear about the shameful behavior of the losers, never the winners. Which I think is interesting because, you know, clearly for obvious reasons, most films that deal with the Civil War are dealing with them in a pro-Union stance. Right. You know? Yeah. Which they should in many ways, but... A war is never clear-cut morally. No, never. Even and, even one like the Civil War, where you know you have a side trying to you know abolish slavery and what kicks off the war. Even in that sense, like even in that when sense, you're dealing they still with mili- terrible things. When you're dealing yeah. with military and generals, especially back then, when there's less you know, less code for military mm-hmm. action, like shit's fucked up. It, it is right. very very clear and obvious, you know. That's I don't mind like I don't mind the way that's presented in this film either, because it doesn't really go into like it's not it it has it hasn't and and nowhere in its messaging does it say that like trying to abolish slavery was bad. It says that though necessarily like it should be a given right that like this was this war was started for a dumb reason, but war is messy no matter who is involved. And atrocious things can happen from both sides. And, you know, our characters aren't really embattled in the conflict. It's just the backdrop that they're kind of trying to avoid for most of the movie. And they just keep getting sucked into it. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what war does. It involves people that aren't even involved in it just by happenstance. And that kind of happens to lots of people in this movie, which is kind of interesting. Um, So I think that's kind of cool that this isn't a pro-war movie in any sense of the imagination. No. It's very anti-war because tons of people die and it's fucked up. But, yeah. Now, another weird thing about this taking place during the Civil War, though, is that the other two movies have been said to take place after the Civil War. Now, granted, there's a lot of play <laughs> in the fact that, like, maybe Clint Eastwood isn't the same character in all three of these movies. But if he is, 
then this is a prequel, technically speaking. And an interesting fact of that is the end of this movie, uh, he puts on the poncho for presumably the the first time. Like, Eastwood isn't wearing his traditional costume from the other two movies until the end. Right. He he takes it from a dying soldier that's sitting there. He takes a poncho. And uh, that's the first time he dons it in this movie. But he's wearing that poncho, and it's the same costume, uh, throughout the entirety of the other two films. So if you want to get technical and think about it, this one has to take place first. Now, does everything make sense? No. <laughs> because if you believe the ending of this movie, Eastwood is incredibly wealthy at the end of it because he has the money. Spoiler for the oh, end no. of Good, the Ooh. Bad, and the Ugly from 1968 or 67 or whatever. But like, um, like he, he's broke mostly in in Fistful of Dollars because he's like trying to be like, you know, I don't have any money. I can't pay you but I also, I want to stay here. So I'll do work. And then he's a bounty hunter in the other one. Yeah. So he's trying to get money. He's not rich. So you have to invent like a off screen scenario that makes him broke again, I guess, or just not worry about it because Cares. the timelines <laughs> made up and the points don't matter. Like, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, speaking of Eastwood, he of course returns to star as the man with no name, but he had reservations once again. Uh, now he felt after looking at the script that there was potential for him to play second banana to the Tuco character. Uh, the Tuco had a lot more dialogue than him and a lot more uh, moments in the script and the most backstory out of the three. So Eastwood who you know, in, in his own words, he was kind of worried that like the the first movie, he's the star, he's the main guy. But then the second movie, there's two. And then now there's three. And he was worried that, you know, if he kept working and it kept going this way, he would eventually not be the focus. And he wanted to be the focus. Um, so he requested even more money than before. Uh, he made two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and requested a Ferrari. Um, I, I declined to mention this before, but he already had one Ferrari from working through with <laughs> for the other two movies. <laughs> okay. So now he's like, I want another Ferrari. And ten percent of the US profits for the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Compared to the other two movies, Eastwood made out like a fucking bandit. Him walking away at the end of the movie with the fucking giant bag of gold is basically how he ended filming. Uh, (laughs) He got all kinds of money. And I don't think this was a deal that Sergio Leone was very happy with. He was kind of pissed that in order to get the star back, he had to give him a shitload of money. A fistful, even. Uh, and I, I think this is the beginning of the souring of their relationship, which I'll double back on in a bit. But our other stars, 
Uh, Lee Van Cleef is back this time to play the villain. Uh, Van Cleef joked that, quote, the only reason they brought me back was because they forgot to kill me off and for a few dollars more, which is strange considering he plays a clearly different fucking character, but that's okay. I think he's just fucking being a troll, to be honest. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, uh, I think they were, uh, Leone was interested in portraying him in a completely different light, which he succeeds in doing because he's really good. God, he's a bastard in this movie. He's yeah. really good. He's really it's good. It's a completely different character. It shows that he had some range, which is cool. I like him as a villain, but he was also pretty good as a hero in the past movie. Yeah, so. I thought he was great in both of these movies. He's great. Yeah. Compared to Eastwood in these movies, he has a lot of range. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, Eastwood plays the same exact character in all three movies. Well, I, I think that's why people think he is the same character in all three. Even if he wasn't designed to be that way, just from the way Eastwood plays it, it's the same guy. Right. No matter what. But anyway, uh, the third and perhaps most memorable character is Tuco, played by Eli Wallach, who... uh is is not Mexican. But anyway, uh, Leone originally considered Gianmaria Volante to return, having played villains in the previous two films. But he decided against it. He felt he needed an actor with comedic talent. Uh, and I guess that is a good call because Volante is good in those two movies as the villain. Uh, he's very charismatic in the first movie, and he's very psychotic in the second movie. But I can't really see him delivering the comedic lines that Tuco has in this movie um, and the comedic moments. You know, he would maybe be a better fit as Angel Eyes, the bad guy. But if we're doing Lee Van Cleef, then there's not really a role for him in this movie. But that's OK. He wanted to be in other stuff anyway. Uh, I think he was sick of spaghetti westerns, in his own words. Now, Leone was impressed with Wallach's role in How the West Was Won, which is a small part, but it was still enough for him to have an interest in him. And he offered the job to him. Now, Wallach initially didn't want to play a roguish character again, but Leone showed him the opening credits of For a Few Dollars More, and that was all it took to convince Wallach. He said... When do I start or where do you want me? So they became friends on set, Wallach and Leone. Uh, they spoke to each other in French because that was the only language that they had that was in common between the two of them. Uh, Leone spoke French very well, but Wallach spoke it pretty poorly. But it still gave them a level of communication that Leone lacked with the other American actors in the film. Uh, he couldn't say a damn thing to Leone. I mean, uh, sorry, to Eastwood or to Van Cleef. Uh, perhaps because of this, Wallach was allowed to play around with his character's look and actions throughout the film. He was allowed to have a bit of a personal touch to the role that he brought to it. Um, the character of Tuco also receives much more backstory and screen time than the other two members of this trio. And that's a fact that Clint Eastwood picked up on for damn sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but 
yes, also oops, brown face. Oh, no. Now, like, I don't know. It's hard not to talk about it (laughs) because in previous movies, in the previous two movies, it's certainly there, but it's not there in your main guys. Right. Right. Here, it's kind of hard not to talk about. Now, it's 1966. And this is happening a lot, not just in Italian cinema, but American cinema and all all over the place. I don't know why. But, oh, well, it's it's just it's hard to, like, approach it with any lens that you would approach stuff now. I'm not saying to give it a pass because it is fucked up. But. The rules and things that were looked down upon are very different, you know. Yeah. 60 years ago or 70 years ago or however long this was. I know math, I swear. 60 years ago. <laughs> um, bearing that in mind, d- despite the fact that he is playing a Mexican, uh, He's the best part about this fucking movie. 100%. He's so charismatic and so entertaining throughout the entirety of this thing. He's having the time of his fucking life playing this character. Um, and he is genuinely just fun to watch do shit. Um, in, in a way that everybody else isn't necessarily... Um, like I, I love Clint Eastwood in these movies. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't have that little additional level of nuance to the character that I think Wallach brings to the table with Tuco. Yeah. The little intricacies and the little things that he does are really interesting. (laughs) And Leone gave him an, an opportunity to let that stuff just go. And and I think it, it's no surprise that like Tuco was the character that Leone liked the most out of the three. Uh, this is a quote from him on the film's trio and how he identified with them. Uh, Sentenza, which was the Italian name for Angel Eyes, has no spirit. He's a professional in the most banal sense of the term, like a robot. This isn't the case with the other two. On the methodology methodical and careful side of my character, I'd be nearer Blondie, but my most profound sympathy always goes towards the Tuco side. He could be touching with all that tenderness and all that wounded humanity. And I definitely agree, even though he is a complete bastard of a character. Ooh, they're all I like the, I like the grayness of it. Well, yeah, they all kind of are. I think it's interesting to note that the person who kills the most people of the three of them is Clint. And he's the one that they call the good. He's, yeah. He's like, he's the, he's the beginning of this movie. He's being a piece of shit. And like, it's basically yeah. just stealing money from, from uh, people putting out bounties on, on Tuco. Right. It's like, well, fucking I think great. It's, it's more like he's the closest thing to a good man you have in this world that this movie takes place in because you have a brief little moments of humanity. Like when he like cares about what happens to soldiers and is like, man, this sucks. But 
beyond that, he's still out for money and personal gain. He, he's not a hero in the traditional sense of the word. And he never was in these movies. He's not the typical John Wayne Western hero. This right. is a spaghetti Western. It's a little grittier. And I dig that. But I do think it's funny that he kills way more people than the other two in this movie. Um, the bad kills the least. Uh, but his kills are given that extra little sting of fucked up early on, especially. Uh, So the movie was going to be titled The Two Magnificent Tramps, uh, which I am glad it's not called. Jesus (laughs) Christ, it's a terrible name. (laughs) But right before filming, I guess uh, Vincenzoni suggested The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which is a title that Leone absolutely loved, and they went with that. And thank God. I'm glad they didn't continue the dollars motif either, because like the good, the bad, and the ugly is such an iconic title and it tells you everything you need to know about the movie and its characters. And that's helps it be iconic as a title. Right. So the production's much, much, much bigger this time around. You have tons of sets. You have more extras than the previous two movies combined uh, with all the, soldiers and war compounds and stuff. Uh, And you have explosions and a lot of them. Filming took place at the Cinecita studio in Rome, uh, the Spain's plateau region near Burgos. And finally in Almeria, Spain. And if you're wondering why this film looks even better than the previous two, you have Toninho Delicoli to thank. That is the cinematographer of this movie. Leone brought him in, and it made a world of a difference. I'm not talking shit about the previous two movies. They're fucking great in how they look. Leone's a genius when it comes to composing shots oh, yeah. and close-ups. However, there's just that added level of polish to everything in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly that I absolutely love. And I think that's because of this guy, for sure. So, I think it's just about time to just start going through this movie, Justin, if you wanna. Yeah. We get our, uh, our now opening the, now credits. Intro out the way. We gotta talk about our opening credit sequence here, because each one is very unique in this series. This is a fun little one where you're getting through like pictures of each character and like you get all these different colors and there's a cannon shooting horses that reveals text which is goofy as fuck. This is, this isn't <laughs> yeah, as good as the uh, for a few dollars more opening credit sequence, but I like it. I think so. that's the best of the three. Yeah, but this is a good opener. Um, and there's no uh, cold open. You just get the credits first, right? Right. Yeah. Um, also, the music, dude. Oh, the music in this movie is fantastic. The best of the three. No contest. They're yeah. all good, but no contest. This is the best. Uh, Morricone, master. This shit is fucking dynamite. Yeah. Um, particularly the stuff towards the end, which I guess we'll all talk to when we get to them. But... All throughout it, really. 
such good iconic shit that like even if you haven't heard this movie there's a chance you've heard the score somewhere because it gets uh brought up in pop culture a lot so the but movie we get to our uh, first scene here yeah yeah so the movie kicks off and you're looking at a, at a it looks like a small western town you got you got three dudes rolling in right in front of what looks like a saloon I love this first shot that's like an establishing set it, setting shot and then just dude face go into frame. Yeah. It's really weird. But <laughs> I like it. I, I also I have such an appreciation for like like Leone would handpick all the actors for the movie, like extras or otherwise. Because he had this like affinity for faces and he, he wanted distinct faces for even minor characters. And I think he had, he does have a real knack for that because everyone looks significantly different than anyone else. Right. Um, it, it leads it to feel like that there's no, nobody alike in this universe, I guess. Um, I mean, he reuses actors. Sure. In, in movie to movie, but the the amount of people in this movie whose face you see on screen is rather high mm-hmm. and it would have been easy to cut corners and use same extras here and there. But I don't think he did. Uh, if he it's did, it's wild. really hard to tell when it's well hidden. He at least used like the, the ones that would be primarily on camera and then cut away if there was other people in the background. Right. Um, but yeah, so these three dudes are pulling up. They, they pull on up to the saloon and they go and they go and bust in and you hear a bunch of shots get fired and then our man uh-huh. Tuco crashes through the window and it stops them right when it goes on and then the, the words the ugly comes up in cursive text. I, I, uh, plays yeah. too. Good shit. Um, I love the way that everybody is introduced in this little segment here because <laughs> you're setting up for the characters in, in reverse order. Ugly, bad, good. Um, and then it goes, you know, it shows that like the title appears on screen of which one is getting introduced right at the end of the scene. And it's just about some of the best it character introductions I've ever seen in a movie, particularly the one for the bad. I think that's my favorite of the introductions. Oh, 100 percent. I like him a lot. Just so dark. Yeah. Well, the right. scene that, that happens here. um, I saw these probably in the wrong order, <laughs> but it reminds me a lot of a movie that came after, which is the opening to Inglorious Bastards, which yeah. is clearly what Tarantino was setting as like the inspiration for the, that opening scene was this scene right here. I think for sure. It's a very similarly set up, you know, like Lonely Farm. There's one farmer and then a bad guy come in and they have a big old stare down. Yeah. And then they have a conversation and share a meal and share a meal. (laughs) And now Tarantino uses a lot more dialogue. Yeah. Than Leone did. Very quiet. These scenes are very similar. Well, it's so quiet that there isn't a line of dialogue in the good, the bad and the ugly until ten and a half minutes in. Which is crazy. 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 (laughs) That's unheard of for like any movie ever. 
So we have our introduction to the bad, and it's yet, yeah, we like we were talking about before, a very quiet scene, and they're sharing a meal, and not a word said yeah. to each other for minutes. Leone scenes drag on for a long time, but in a good way. On a, in, in the best because, possible way. Well, really yeah, the attention. tension in this scene is really high between these two men as they just stare at each other. You know, because basically all that happens is Angel Eyes walks in and sits down and then asks him for information about a guy he's looking for. Then he kills the guy, then he kills the son, and then he leaves. But th- that scene takes like 15 minutes because it's drawn out and the tension is high between these two men. Yeah. And I, I love it. <laughs> it's a great scene and it uh the music when the shooting actually happens is is real sinister. Yeah, definitely. And well done. Yeah, you get kind of get our outlook on how how uh how our man acts here. He's uh tells him that you know he had $500 put on to get some information of a man's name. Mhm. Got he's got the lead on a money box. Twenty thousand dollars in gold. Twenty thousand. Two hundred thousand. Sorry, it's a lot. No matter what, that's a shit ton of money. And this during the Civil War, yeah, that's a fucking ass ton of money. That's like that's like if you put a fucking... is a huge factor between all our characters here. It may be mostly Tuco, but still. <laughs> Um, th- this guy also has this weird, like, code, in a way, because he was paid to go kill this guy, right? Yeah. So he completes his mission, no matter what. But in his conversation with the man, he offers him money to go kill the person who hired him to kill him. Yeah. And he's like, well, too bad, when I take a job, I always follow through with the mission but then the interesting uh little twist on this is the next scene where he goes back to the old man who hired him to do this in the first place and he wakes him up in his bed and delivers the information that he paid him for but then says that he gave me money to kill you and i never and I took his money after I killed him and I never don't see a job go through. So he kills the old man too. And it's like, Holy shit. (laughs) This guy's just crazy. He just likes killing and he likes the excuse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a brutal death too. He puts the pillow. Yeah. And then then he shoots shoots the pillow four times in the dude's head. Mm hmm. Like, damn, Jesus Christ. I kind of wish there was more of Van Cleef in this movie. He certainly has the least screen time out of the, the good, the yeah, bad. He, he only kind of pops up intermittently to to be a thorn in the other two's side. Well, in a way, that's kind of how a villain works in a movie. But I would have appreciated even more after these really, really interesting initial scenes with him. And we never really get... <laughs> to a level where he's this sinister really ever again. Uh, Cause this shit's too good. <laughs> right. 
And so next, we get a scene where uh, our man Tuco's riding up on a horse, and the horse gets shot. Uh-huh. He gets surrounded by three gentlemen. Like, there's a $2,000 bounty on your head. Mm-hmm. Shows up a paper with it on it. And then Clint shows up. That's this casual... Uh, d- dead eye kill all three of them. Uh, Red Dead. Wonder where they got that from, huh? Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, then he goes and grabs him and rides him into town, all tied up. He's screaming at him the whole time, calling him a filthy fucking pig. Oh yeah, this is really entertaining, and, and, it's, and, it, and it does throw the audience off in a significant way because you definitely don't think these two are working together. Considering what Tuco is saying about Blondie here, <laughs> and it's spitting, um, it's spitting in his face, and Blondie yeah. sl- slaps him. It's, yeah, it's pretty great. And talking about his mother and his father in very derogatorily ways, uh, it's it's great. Uh, <laughs> this character is hilarious throughout the entire movie. I love him. Tuco's great. Yeah, he's definitely the best part of this movie. But then we get clued in to what the uh, the scam is. Yep, so it goes to hang him, and then uh, and Blondie takes his rifle and shoots him down, shoots the hats off of all the people, it confuses them, and they ride away. Yep. And this is the scam they've been doing, because he asked him, how much is your bounty at now? He's like, oh, 3,000 now. No, oh, then we can do it again. Right. And get that money, too, and keep doing it. It seems a little short term because eventually someone should know that this is happening. But I don't know. Yeah, it, it seems like, like Blondie's I catching guess if up you on keep that. Going to remote uh, towns, that'll work, I guess. Well, it seems like Blondie's <laughs> catching on to that because um, yeah. on their last attempt here, he abandons him while he's still tied. He abandons Tuco while he's still tied up. Right. Yeah, I'm not working um, with you anymore. Yeah. I guess the the main reason would be uh, in their travels, Tuco kind of criticized uh, this thing and said he should get more money. Like, because my next, the one on the rope, I take the risk. So I should be getting more money. And I think right then and there, although he doesn't say it, Eastwood's like, nah, <laughs> this isn't going to last much longer. Like, next time and I he, just... he formulates the plan right then and there that next time I'm just going to take the 3K and leave you on the side of the road, Jack. It doesn't have it in him to just let him hang and die. No. Well, he's he's the good, okay? Right. <laughs> in quotation marks. Yeah. Um, so he's not a murderer unless need be, I would say. Yeah. Yep, so... Now, this doesn't uh, sit with Tuco very well. No. But this is our introduction to Clint as the good. This whole string of scenes here. Yep. And now Tuco's out to get him. Mm. Wants his revenge. Yeah. We get a... He finally makes his way to a town because he has to walk through the desert for a long time. And this is one of my favorite scenes in anything ever, Justin. He walks into the gun. Yeah, so he, he yes. splashes himself with water, gets a little bit of water, then walks into a gun store that's about to close. And as the guy's about to lock the door, he just sticks his boot in the door, kicks the door open. Yeah. Uh, this scene has almost no dialogue. And it is 100% hilarious. 
great yeah. comedic timing uh, between Wallach and this this guy that they found to play the store owner is fantastic because he's so nervous, but still like wondering if he can make a sale like the whole time. Yeah. And I like you just get the sense that this isn't the first time that a crazy bandit has walked into his store and robbed him dry. You know what I mean? Like he kind of just has this like air of like, here we go again with it. And just like, well, I need to not die. (laughs) And, uh, just everything Wallach does in this scene is, is mostly just Wallach. It wasn't written this way. Uh, Leone just kind of let him go. Like, like this whole bit with him screwing together his own custom gun. Like Wallach said that like this gun would not work or fire that I made. But Leone just let me go. Cause I just like was into the character and I was just like, he would do this, all this crazy shit. Right. <laughs> and he just let him go and improv his way through the scene for the most part. A- ending with the best bit, which was also improved by Wallach, which is taking the closed sign off the wall and putting it in the dude's mouth. And then the dude's just like, yeah. <laughs> just kind of like, isn't pissed. He's just like resigned. <laughs> He's just like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's Love this great. fucking scene. It's fantastic. Um, just such an asshole coming in here and just taking all this shit. And then, uh, after he gets his gun, he leaves. He 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 leaves. Uh, he leaves the liquor there for the store clerk, at least, right? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Takes everything else from him. So then he uh, goes to what looks like a, a kind of a underground den with a dead chicken. Mm-hmm. He goes on a weird rant about how only poor people eat potatoes. Which is yeah. <laughs> yes, he does do that. Um, he's getting his gang back together, basically. Uh, people that shouldn't trust Tuco, because he doesn't really uh, value anyone's life except his own. Right. Uh, so he tricks these guys to go on an assassination quest for Blondie because it's a way to get three thousand dollars. Ha cha cha cha. And. It results in their doom shortly thereafter. Yep, he goes, they go to a hotel and find out where Blondie's staying. Um, and they go to head up his room, and he sends the three of them up to the front door of the room. Uh-huh, and he comes in through the back window. Right. Yes, yes, yes. They come into the front, and Blondie <laughs> instantly just shoots them. I love that moment where um, the dude's dying, and he looks at Eastwood as if to ask, how did you hear us? And he just says, your spurs... <laughs> and the dude dies. It's a good moment. Yeah. Yep. And then, but then Tuco popped in through the window while he was doing that, and caught him off guard. Hmm. Then tries but to hang him. <laughs> here's the interesting thing about this. Yeah, he's got him on the stool, and he's about to like shoot the the legs off of the stool and hang him and kill him. But uh, so civil wars happening outside. Oops. And yep. a cannon fire blows up the room that they're in. 
and Tuco falls down to the next story and he's like, ah, and then he looks up and the noose doesn't have a head on it anymore. Yep. So he got away. Blondie booked it. <laughs> As you would. Saved by uh, the Civil War, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you get a little bit of. You also get a couple scenes with. Uh, with Mr. Van Cleef here. Yeah, Every, everybody has a bit of a nickname here. Nobody's actually called the good, the bad, or the ugly, because that'd be stupid. Right. But, uh, you know, we got Blondie, Angel Eyes, and Tuco. Um, all all nicknames, except, well, Tuco's his real name. But, yeah, so I think he's just, uh, Angel Eyes here is looking for information on this dude who has 200K worth of gold, right? Yep. He know, well, he knows where it's buried. Trying yes. to get that information so he can go get it. Right. Um, so I forget where he goes first, um, but first he goes find goes and finds the dude's wife and like slaps the shit out of her. Oh yeah, he just beats this woman. Um, so this is <laughs> this is kind of funny. Um, the scene. Uh... Sorry, I have to get my notes back up again. There we go. Yeah. So Levi and Cleef refused to actually hit her, even though that was how the scene was supposed to go. They were like, nah, just hit her. Just, like, actually slap her. And he was like, no. And she was like, no, it's okay, I'm an actress. Like, you can hit me. It's fine. And he was like, I understand. But no. (laughs) And uh, he just, like, refused. So, through the use of clever editing and stunt doubles, uh, Lee Van Cleef filmed this scene without actually hitting a woman. Uh, the quote from Lee Van Cleef on this little incident. There are very few principles I have in life. One of them is I don't kick dogs. And the other one is I don't slap women in movies. End quote. (laughs) So it's funny to me that they had to like film around that. Uh, But as far as the character is concerned, he's just a complete fucking bastard. This woman's already not having a good day. These soldiers were harassing her or whatever. Yep, and then then her husband left. (laughs) Yeah, and then in in, in comes fucking Lee Van Cleef to beat her up a bunch. What the fuck? (laughs) But she tells him, you know, where he went as an officer of the Confederacy. Like, where he was going to be stationed to be. Right? Yes. And that kind of leads him to this little confederate camp um run by an alcoholic which is a running theme in this film uh <laughs> of just the commanding officers or drunks I, i'm not entirely sure well, it's, it's, i mean it's like kind of give you the message that like these people just uh aren't, aren't making great decisions yeah and maybe also perhaps like the fact that like the people that are being put in charge in these uh, bad circumstances are kind of just normal people who aren't prepared for this. Yeah. And they kind of just get drunk and uh, try to deal with this fucking terrible situation they found themselves in as the result of a uh, war. But anyway, this guy gives him a little bit of information and he leaves the bottle with them. Uh, he was also I, shoveling corn into a fucking giant kettle. That's a lot of corn, dude. That's, that's so much <laughs> corn, bro. 
Well, it's not even corn. It's just the cobs left over, right? Yeah. It's like they're they're already eaten, right? There's no corn on those cobs. He's just throwing cobs into a stew. I guess is that what's happening? Yeah, to like give it some flavor, I guess. Fucking all right, but anyway, <laughs> times are tough. Uh. I, I don't remember what information he gets from this location, but it eventually just leads him to a union camp later in the movie. So we'll catch up with Angel Eyes later. Yep. In the meantime, we got some beef to settle here. Mm-hmm. We got Tuco tailing Blondie, uh, finding where his old sleep camps are and going trying to you know catch up to him. And every single, oh, yeah. single one of his camps is a cigar, and he tests each cigar to see if it still like has enough ember in it to you know light back up when he puffs on it. Yeah, to see like how close he is. Yep, and finally, yeah, I like how this sets it up because it zooms in real close when he finally gets it. Yes, you notice how happy he is once he does it. The music it? is fucking fantastic. Yeah. This like theme that plays. Boom, damn, damn, boom, damn, boom, damn, boom, damn. Yep, and he just, he's, he's like, yes, as soon as he did that. And he smokes the yeah. rest of the cigar, because, yeah, fuck it, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's a degenerate. He's going to smoke the cigar butts until he finds them. Just fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and we got Blondie yeah. over here, propped up with his rifle, doing the, repeating his scam. But with, with somebody guy. else, yep. yeah. Cheater, so, man. Cheated on, cheated on Tuco. He cheated on Tuco. Uh, well, Tuco doesn't take very kindly to that, and he holds a gun to him and yep. says, let's go. And he's like, what about him? And he says, no. And he's like, well, okay. And then he hangs. And he's like, sorry, man. Yeah, he's, shorty. he's like, sorry, shorty. As a dude just like, hangs. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, Tuco's mean, dude. Doesn't let this guy live. But anyway, it's time for Tuco to torture the shit out of Clint Eastwood as he is like, uh, hey, we're going to go for a ride through the fucking desert, man. And uh, I'm not going to give you any water and you're going to walk and I'm going to be on a horse. I'm going to have all the water and just gloat about it the whole time. Yep. Make sure. And they do. Yeah, make sure that... Uh takes a long time getting through this, though. You're, you're looking at, like, almost 20 minutes of them just going through this desert. Yeah. It is it, really it's, drawn it's, out. It's a lot. And it really, uh... It really, uh... Like, it hammers home how, like, brutal this is to Eastwood's character. Um, the makeup is pretty, like, rudimentary of his cracked skin, but it's effective enough. It works um, well enough, I think. I think it conveys the fact that he is getting heat stroke and dry. It's horribly and sunburned. Exhausted. Yeah. yeah. I think it conveys that fact pretty well. And so Tuco's being a complete dick here because like, you know, at most, you know, Eastwood fucked him out of some money. Sure. But at at worst what Eastwood did to him was make him walk for a little bit in the desert and then he got some water and then he was fine. This is overkill and he's just doing it in, in a, in an attempt to kill the man. Eventually, uh, Tuco's a dick. <laughs> yep. Uh, just like killing the man by, uh, killing him with just the heat and the lack of water. And then you just get this like really fucking like, just like, you know, 
just rubbing dirt in the wound moment where he he puts he has so much water that he makes himself a foot bath. And then Eastwood, you know, is trying to get to the water in the foot bath. And he's like, yeah, come on, get it. Ha ha ha. And he's splashing water with his feet. And then he kicks the fucking thing over. And the water move. just dries on the sand. He's Big like, bastard what a cuck. Move. Big bastard move. <laughs> Big bastard moves over here. And then uh, what looks to be at first an empty carriage just starts rolling up. Yeah, the, all of a sudden, the plot drives into this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... It's a carriage, you know, two go-go's to investigate. Full of dead Confederate soldiers. But one of them is sort of alive, and he begins begging for water. And the dude's like, and Tuco's like, eh. But then the dude says, $200,000 for just a slip of water. And we, the audience, immediately know this is this is Bill Carson. Yep, this is because the guy that, he has the eye patch. This is right. the guy that Angel Eyes is looking for. Right. So, yeah, literally the plot of the movie just collided with the rest of the movie. Like, so far, it was only really happening in Angel Eyes' plot. But now here comes the link that will tie everybody together. So Tuco is trying to get information out of this guy. $200,000. What? What? And he says it's buried in a grave on Sad Hill Cemetery. Pumpkin Hill Cemetery. Sure. Okay. <laughs> the money's buried at Pumpkin Hill. You ready? I ain't going to let it get to me. I'm just going to let it get to me. Yeah. Uh, so you tell us him. I don't. I don't know how done with me you were right then, but sorry. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm, well. You know what? I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> I think I'm just desensitized, my dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. I've done, he tells I've done like a hundred episodes with your bullshit. Listen up, Justin. He tells <laughs> them that the Master Emerald is buried at Pumpkin Hill. Yeah. And they have to go get it, <laughs> but he doesn't know under under which grave. Uh, yeah. so, uh, he's like, come on, I'll get you some water. And then he comes back and he sees that fucking Blondie crawled his way over there and talked to the motherfucker. And he's like, son of a bitch. And Blondie tells him before he passes out that you're going to want to keep me alive because I know the name on the grave and that dude died. So he got one up on him. And now Tuco completely changes his tone. Now he desperately does not want Blondie to die. He needs him alive to get that fucking money. And you see the effect that greed has on this man because it makes him completely go like, you know, oh no, Blondie, don't die on me. I'm your friend Tuco. <laughs> it just changes his tone completely. So now he has to try and save Blondie's life instead of killing him. Yep, because now he has that information. He can't get to this money without him being alive. Mm-hmm. And he's about to die of heat stroke. He loads, so he loads Blondie up into the into the trailer, which I hope he took the bodies out of. And uh, <laughs> I assume he did, but I, I bet that was like a morbid scene they didn't want to film. I mean, right. I don't know. There's enough of them in this, but like just like throwing the bodies out and just leaving them in the desert. Yep. It's pretty fucked up. 
And so they eventually get him over to uh, church. Yeah, he goes to a Confederate camp first, but they tell him that they don't have any infirmary here. They're pulling out. Right. So it's like, ah, fuck. Okay. Uh, is this church still here? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll go there. So he go there. Yep. And so then now they're going to nurse the nurse Blondie here back to health. Mm-hmm. This is for me. You get to see like a bunch of fucked up soldiers. The sad, sad looking scene. Well, yeah, man. It's it's interesting because they have uh, they have both uh, sides of the war here. This this place has decided to treat Union and Confederate soldiers with injuries. So you see both here. And, you know, Tuco has disguised him and Blondie as Confederates. But either way, they are welcome here, I suppose, in, in a way to get healed up with medical care. Uh, this is, like, one of the only, like, truly kind locations in this entire film. This little... Monastery, I guess. Yeah. And, uh... Out of here. And he goes up to me, he's trying to be real fucking nice to plug you now. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. He's, he's being buttering him up and being just like, you know, hey. We're buddies. You know. I know I right. just left. Uh, I don't want to basically try to make you look, go through a slow, painful death in the desert. But we're buddies. Right. Pissed. <laughs> yeah, he spits coffee on him. Um, oh, interesting thing to note here. So when he spits on Tuco here, uh-huh. uh, he's pissed. But then he says, you know. Something something sarcastic about my dear friend Tuco, and then passes back out. You get a fade out, okay? Yeah. And I was wondering why that's there, because there isn't any other fade out in this movie. And in looking up facts about this movie, that's because that's where the intermission went originally. It faded out, and then the intermission happened which was commonplace in the past. Yeah, it is halfway uh, through a three-hour movie. And now it's not. <laughs> I kind of, like, intermissions are all right. I wouldn't mind them bringing them back. If, it, if it's at a good spot. If but, it's at a good spot, I'm sure you can find a spot. Like, Avengers Endgame is three hours long. You know? You could find a spot. To God, you could find a spot to let people go fucking piss. Right. <laughs> now, you know, you shouldn't have to piss if you prepare yourself, but be that as it may, you know, hey, with man. the luxury of Netflix, I peed like five times during this movie. Right. Like, dude, just dude, because. I don't know, man. I'm turning. I'm, <laughs> listen, I'm tur I'm, I am getting old, okay? And now I have to, like, fuck it. We got an hour of this podcast and I had to pee, okay? Like, <laughs> just depends on how much shit you're drinking. Like, at a movie theater, you try to not, you try to pace yourself. So you don't have to go pee. I did drink a whole uh, ass can of Monster Energy. Ah, uh, well, there you go. That'll do that. Well, we you know, yeah. Before and while we were recording. 
<laughs> that, that'll do it. Any fucking way, then it comes back from intermission, and uh, we have the second half of our movie, I guess, although it feels like the second half's maybe even longer. Uh, there's a lot to it. But uh, we get character backstory in the form of Tuco meeting his brother, who yeah. runs or works at this monastery, uh, Pablo. And uh, this conversation's interesting because they're kind of humanizing and giving backstory to Tuco, a character that we kind of just learned to hate over the past half hour or so when he was torturing Blondie, you know? So he's really unlikable for that span of time. But now they kind of give him this little moment to humanize him a bit where his brother hates him because he left home. And his mother passed and his father passed and he wasn't there. And the brother went to see them. But then he turns it back around on him and Tuco's like, oh, yeah, well, I stayed home with them when you went to become a priest. And I'll tell you what, the, when when we were growing up, we had two choices, become a priest, become a bandit. I went my way. You went my yours. And fuck you, dude, if you think that yours is harder than mine, because it's not. And I think he like hits him. Yeah, his brother, his brother hits him. And I think he hits him back. And he's just like, all right, well, fuck you. And they leave. And then you have this little moment <laughs> between him and, and Clint. Where Clint is very aware of everything that just happened. Like he watched it. But Tuco doesn't know that. So then he just like lies. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, me and my brother, we have such a good relationship. You know, it's good to know whenever I need a, a bowl of soup, I can come here and see my good brother even though they just had a big argument, you know? Yeah, they just hit each other. And just hit each other. And Eastwood knows that Tuco's fucking lying out of his ass. And he's like, I don't know, here's a cigar. So even though he tortured the shit out of Clint, seeing this little human moment that was upsetting to him, he gives him a cigar, and they head out on their quest to go find this fucking gold, each with their own half of the secret of where it's buried. Yep. They go riding along and in a nice little humorous moment here, you see some soldiers roll it up. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tuco, like an idiot, just starts screaming out to shit about supporting the Confederacy. Cause they look like Confederate yeah, soldiers from a distance. So they, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, they figured out that they were covered in dust. The one dude starts dusting off his jacket and it's blue. Uh Oh, so, oops, hard cut to being in a, in a prison camp. Yep. <laughs> Whoops, uh-oh. Whoops, uh-oh, hard cut to prison camp. <laughs> Don't you hate when that happens? And then, so, oh, uh, lo and behold, Angel guess who's here? Too. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Union soldier this whole time? No, not really, but yeah. <laughs> he's pretending. Earlier in the movie, he just waltzed right up into a Confederate area, and now he's pretending to be a Union guy. Everybody kind of just uses the Civil War to their advantage a little bit in this yeah. movie. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, and uh, 
So they, as you know, as this prisoner's belongings get possessed, Tuco took a little thing, a little like charm thing that had Bill Carson written on the inside of it. Yes. Angel Eye sees this and he's like, "Which prisoner had this? We're, we're gonna, we're gonna take, we're gonna talk to him." <laughs> yeah. And so now we get a really long torture scene. Um. Hmm. Yeah, because Tuco lies and says he's Bill Carson, right? Yeah. But Angel Eyes, already knew I guess, he was knows... Already knew who he both. was. Well, he knows both of these men from previous not-on-screen events. Right. Right? Because no, not on they, screen. He was they, on screen. He, during their, the second time they did the scam, he was there. Right. No, 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 no. They had to notice each other before this because Tuco says, Hey, Blondie, isn't that Angel Eyes? And they both recognize him. They had to have known him from some prior encounter. Like, this man has a reputation, is what I'm getting he's at. He's probably a famous like, bounty hunter. Or something. About, well, they know that he's a bad motherfucker that they probably shouldn't fuck with. They know this. They know who he is. And they're like, huh. So. Angel Eyes is interested in why Tuco claimed that he was Bill Carson. And boy, it's time for time for some torture, but also music in, in one of the best scenes of this movie. Uh, yeah, you have the, <laughs> a, uh, a precursor to all kinds of scenes. It, it always feel like a torture scene is always set with music that doesn't fit it. That's because of this movie. Yep. It happens all the time. Reservoir Dogs, uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, maybe. Like, even mm-hmm. that fucking Punisher movie, maybe a little bit. If yeah. I'm trying to remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, and like it's it's used all over the place. This it's almost like a trope at this point, you know, playing unfitting music to score a scene of brutality, I guess. Yeah. And uh here it's not just being played, you know. Uh, it, it's actually being played. Is what I'm trying to say. Because there's a band outside. Yeah. And they they know that they they are forced to play music to cover up the beatings of people. Prisoners, yeah. Because like Angel Eyes is set up here, and he uses this as kind of like a freaking torture den of sorts. I, I don't really know. <laughs> the ins and outs of it, but uh, the commanding officer sure doesn't seem to like it. Uh, but there's only so much he can do because he has gangrene and he's dying. <laughs> but here we go. Strike up the band and uh, beat the shit out of Tuco time by this large, large man who does it, by the way. Who was in the other movies as well? Yeah, nice. uh, this is Mar- Mario Brega. Yeah, he was a uh, a goon. He's a goon for the villain in every single one of these movies. Yep. Uh, although in the previous two, he was playing a Mexican man, and in this one, he's playing an American, which is interesting. But uh, this giant, large, haggard-looking motherfucker just beats the shit out of Tuco. Repeatedly um, punching him and throwing him around. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. 
and they cut back and forth between him and the band playing outside and like the, the fiddle player, his face, he's just like fucking crying because he knows that like, this is covering up violence that's happening right. inside and just being a part of this is tearing him up inside. You know what I mean? Right. And then that one, that one asshole is just like, play that fiddle. You and he just like, again, when Dude, he we, see, the, we see that moment. asshole again later. True. The same captain we see later on in a scene. I think so. Blondie and Tuco blow up the bridge. Is it the same guy? Same guy. Ah, that's weird. Okay. If you're sure. Positive. Well, anywho. Um, so. <laughs> they, uh, they get all the information they need out of him. Because Tuco talks, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, it really like is is disturbing when it ends with like the thing that makes Tuco break. I guess I should say is the dude squeezing his head with his thumbs over his eyeballs. Yeah. And like, oh, <laughs> what a what a horrifying shot. Uh, you know. I bet that was a little inspiration for Game of Thrones when they did the uh, the mountain killing the Red Viper. Although oh, yeah. he actually follows through with the head squeeze and kills the man. Right. Uh, but it's a very similar looking action. Then they uh, then they invite Blondie in. And don't do anything. <laughs> Angel Eyes tells him, hey, uh, Let's let's go. Let's go get that two hundred thousand dollars. I know the I know the name of the cemetery, and you know the name of the grave. He's like, are, are, he sees blood on the floor. He's like, give me that same treatment. Angel Eyes is like, I know you're not going to talk, so let's just do it. Yeah, like we're going to go, and I'm going to get it, and then I'm probably going to kill you. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that, so we're just going to go do it. That's his opinion on the matter, because like if he tortured the shit out of Angel Eyes, I'm sorry, out of out of uh, Blondie, if Angel Eyes tortured the shit out of Blondie, he wouldn't say shit because that's how he is. We've already seen him get tortured in these movies, you know, in the first one. It's not like he said anything. Oh, and in the second one, (laughs) Eastwood gets the shit kicked out of him all the time. I guess it's a good change of pace that he isn't the one that receives the torture in this movie, but that would be really cruel if it happened to him too, right after the desert shit happened. Right. He got tortured. He already got tortured in this movie. Yeah. That was his torture for this movie, I guess. (laughs) So, uh, big, uh, union guy is taking Tuco on a train as a prisoner. Yes. Uh, and Angel Eyes is setting out with a group of people, although he makes it seem like it's just him and Clint. Right. But later on, obviously, Clint figures out that there's five of them in the woods just chilling with guns trained on everybody. You know, because obviously Angel Eyes is a little too smart to just, you know, go alone. With Blondie here, you know? Yeah. But anyway. You get a representation of that when uh, they're sleeping in the camp. and uh, Yeah, that's the moment I was referring to yeah. when the, all the guys come out of the woods. And he's like, hmm. Hmm. 
But anyway, what's going on with Tuco, Justin? Well, he's on a train. Uh huh. They're 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 sleeping. He wakes up and uh, tries to reach for the dude's the the big brute man's gun who's sleeping. He notices it. He's like, "You want to put your hand on my gun?" He goes like, "No, man, I just got to piss." <laughs> yeah, so he sure. Takes, so he takes they're they're and they're wrapped they're chained together on handcuffs. And uh, he takes him up to the to the, the train car. He's like, "Go ahead and piss, dude." He was yeah. like, can, "Can you not watch? Can you can you not watch?" And the guy's like, oh, he grunts and he just fucking turns over. In an opportune moment, he knocks both of them off the train, and then bashes the dude's head against a rock until he dies. Hmm. Boom. But then, uh, in Tuco the, got his revenge on that dude who beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then during the scuffle, though, uh. The, the gun the dude had broke. Tuka was trying to use it to to shoot off the chain, and he can't do that. Tries to use a rock, won't break it. So he instead opts to uh, pull the dude's body onto the train tracks and put the chain right on the the bar of the the, the tracks, so the ch- the train will run over it and break the chain. Right. In the process, the chain train does pass. It does this. In the process, it just drags the other dude's body through the bottom of the train, which is gross. Oh, uh, it's pretty grisly. The dude, like, explodes at some point. Um, now, we got to talk about this scene. Because uh, there's some interesting shenanigans here. So, throughout the filming of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Eli Wallach claimed his life was threatened three separate times. Now, Wallach said that although Leone was a great filmmaker he did not ensure the safety of his actors very well. The first instance where Wallach almost fucking died, he drank from a bottle of acid that was set next to his soda bottle by a film technician in a very similar bottle. Oops. Jesus. Almost died. The second time in the scene where Tuco is on a horse and hung from a noose, and, you know, Clint obviously shoots the rope. Uh, The horse runs away with Wallach on it. The horse wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to just bolt, and Wallach would fall to the ground. But instead, the horse got extra spooked and ran for a mile with a tied-up Wallach on its back, unable to do anything. (laughs) Oh, no! And here's the third time during this scene where he uses an oncoming train to cut the handcuffs. Uh, they really did this. Now, I, they, they were all like, it's going to be fine, dude. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Just stay down, and it'll be really loud, but you'll be fine. Now, Wallach wasn't aware, and perhaps the rest of the film crew, that the train had iron steps that came out a foot at the bottom of the train, right above where Eli Wallach's head was. Meaning, he would have been fucking decapitated if he had moved from his prone position at the wrong time. You can even see this in the film that like, really it's just the span of a second between Wallach poking his head up and then beginning to move and the iron bar cutting his fucking head off. 
So that's scary. Now, he's fine and everybody's fine, but fucking yikes, dude. Now, I don't know how much fault that was of anybody. I don't know if they really knew the train had that, but like, you know, we've talked a lot on this show about negligence of directors, I suppose. Um, You know, I don't know about a lot, but here and there, you know, we, we talked about our, our good, uh, good buddy, John Landis, uh, killing people on the set of the twilight zone. Uh, and you know, various instances of people getting hurt on, you know, things like the Friday, the 13th films and shit like that. And I just got to say, please stop. (laughs) Please stop doing this. Now I know that films are probably safer than they've ever been because Lots of stunts and things like that can be CGI touched up and not actually done with like, you know, actual super dangerous shit happening. But there's still some things that happen to this day. Um, stunt, Stunt people die on the set of things all the time. And it's fucked up. Uh... The 60s were a very different time (laughs) in terms of these filmmaking rules. But I think the fact that you still see this shit happen is kind of scary. So stop, stop that shit. Please care about your actor's safety and everyone else on the cruise. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the PSA. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah. (laughs) So they end up on Landis in jail. Okay, no, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> so now we, so now we got uh, Angel Eyes and Blondie to show up to a, uh, to a town, uh, the War Zone town, basically. Uh, Warzone! yeah, War Zone. Man, no <laughs> oh, one's God. gonna get that joke. What are we doing? <laughs> you see, Yoko Ono. There okay, we are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Why not, buddy? Look up Yoko Ono. Yeah. Yoko Ono's song War Zone. Oh yeah, it, it's it's great. And I promise. Every time I see the word Warzone, I just think Warzone, yeah. Warzone. because of that song. Like, like, whenever everybody talks Warzone. about Call of Duty Warzone, I just laugh. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> Warzone! <laughs> like in order to understand it, you gotta, you gotta listen to that song. It's on YouTube. G- give, it, give it a listen. It's a treat. But anyway, back to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a town, right? Yeah. So they wander in, and then right behind the wanders in Tuco. He caught up. Right. Now, I think we have like a little brief moment of Clint here uh, sitting in a room with angel eyes. And he says something like he has like a cat and he just like says something about like, you know, going somewhere. And I don't know. Angel eyes has one of the dudes follow Clint, but it doesn't fucking matter because Clint just kills the guy. Yeah. And eventually we link up with Tuco here. So this is uh, another of the best scenes of all time coming up here. Uh, Tuco gets in this building here and he finds a bath. Yeah. And he gets in and he's like, hell yeah. But there's this shifty looking dude who noticed Tuco and he's following him. And he goes in There's one armed man, by the way. Yeah, And we don't really know what happened between these two, but this dude hates Tuco for some reason. And I'm going to guess it has to do with that missing arm 
Um, <laughs> that's just my personal uh, theory. <laughs> but um, he bursts in, two goes in the bath, and he has a little bit of a speech. And he's like, I've been searching for you for months, or whatever he says here. And before he can get all of his words out, Tugo shoots him. Yep, he took his gun with him. Yep, took his gun with him into the bath. Into the bath, and we get my favorite line from this movie, which is, "When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk." (laughs) Which was an ad lib from Wallach uh, that made the cast and crew crack up on set. And he was like, "I don't know. I didn't even think it was funny at the time." I just thought it was like, you know, correct. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but just his delivery of the line on set and in the, the, the recording after is pretty damn good. And this moment doesn't really have to be in the movie. It doesn't really bring the plot forward or anything, but I'm so happy it's here yeah. <laughs> because this little moment tells you so much about the character of Tuco. Mm-hmm. These little character defining moments are some of the best shit in this entire movie. And happy they're here. <laughs> yep. But anyway, so then uh Eastwood finds Tuco. Yep. While well, while he's taking a bath, he's like, "Put your clothes on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So they, uh, they take out the other five guys, basically. Yep. Or yeah, everybody but Angel Eyes who uh, booked it. Mm-hmm. Good little shootout scene. Uh, fun. They like team up and shoot all these guys. Good music. Good shit. But yeah, Angel Eyes at the end of it is gone, and he says something like, "See you there, idiots," or something like that. Yeah. So he basically did a a similar trick to Tuco's trick earlier where he invited, you know, people along for the ride to go kill Clint. I think here Eastwood invited these people along so that he had bodies between him and Eastwood and Tuco just in case. Yeah. And he uses them as. Uh, body armor in a, in a, basically to run away while the shooting's happening because he's a fucking villain not necessarily brave but he's an asshole <laughs> you know we won't see him until the end of the movie because now it's time for the side quest to end all side quests this is a lot of this movie is dedicated to this bit. I love this part of the movie, but it definitely does kind of. It makes the movie another half hour longer and it's already really long. Right. But I do love this part. Iron Giant so I wouldn't take it out. Right. But it, it is like a huge sequence. So once again, our not quite heroes stumble into a war camp. Oops. Uh, (laughs) Literally, they stumble into it, by the way. It made me laugh that, like, just in the same shot 
as Tuco going like nobody's around here, it pans to the giant war <laughs> camp that was right in front of his nose. <laughs> and like, that's just a shot that made me laugh so much that like somehow, you know, it's kind of like the characters, like, you know, what's off screen doesn't exist, you know, so they don't see it. <laughs> so what, what, uh, you know, how are our guys going to get out of this one? Once again, captured by an army. Uh, we meet our captain here. Yep. Boy, is he fucking blitzed out of his mind. <laughs> just got a, he's just got a crate full of bottles of fucking alcohol right next to him. Yeah. Um, I love this character. This is a good performance from this man and the voice actor playing him. Uh, so this captain is very funny, and he's very uh, fed up with this war. Uh, he, it, their side, the Union and the Confederate Army, are fighting over a bridge, and, and he's like, "I fucking hate that bridge because if it wasn't there, we could go fight somewhere else, and shit would be a lot better because people are going to die on that fucking bridge every day or twice a day." I think he says, yeah, two attacks a day. Yep. And he's just like, fuck that fucking bridge. They've decided this bridge is important and I don't give a shit about it. <laughs> and, and like people just have to die. He's like, I've had dreams of blowing up that bridge. So, uh, you know, like Tuco kind of lies and says they're there to enlist. And the guy just doesn't care because he's wasted. So he's like, yeah, whatever. Let me give you the tour. And shows them all around while bitching about that bridge and all that. Yeah. And uh, I guess eventually it's time for the battle. And he's like, you know, hey, pull up a chair and watch the theater of war or something like that. <laughs> like, I, I forget what he says exactly, but it's something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, big battle happens and the captain gets injured. Not, not, not long into the battle. And they bring him in and he's bleeding. And he's like, ah, fuck. And uh, Blondie gets an idea because they realize he and Tuco where they need to go is across that bridge. So there's no way to get there with this war happening in between them and the cemetery. Right? Yeah. So Let's blow up the bridge. <laughs> and that way they'll go fight somewhere else and we can just go. So they find dynamite, which by the way, dynamite wasn't invented until after the civil war, but who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> they find dynamite and they, you know, they say, I think they, I think Blondie even says to the captain something like, you know, keep your ears open. And he kind of yeah. like has the sense that like, oh, they're going to blow up the fucking bridge. And, uh, you know, he tries to like hold on to life just long enough to hear that fucking bridge that he hates explode. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they sneak down there uh, disguised as like part of the, the medics. Yeah, they even like, take, they like, literally, like, 
they beat up someone and steal a stretcher. It's really <laughs> fucked up. Like, <laughs> like, like they just took it away from an actually injured person. The good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. That's good as you could get in this fucking shitty world. Yeah, yeah, sure. They use the stretcher to transport TNT down to the bridge. <laughs> and and then what my favorite little moment is they squat down next to a wounded soldier and start to pretend to pick him up because people are there. And then, and yeah, then they just leave him there. Yeah, it's just the, it's just the other go. medics like walk away. They just drop him and then keep going. Uh, it's so morbid. Uh the dark humor of this movie, especially like with all these war scenes is great. So they go to strap dynamite to the bridge. The one important plot thing that happens here is Tuco kind of gets this, like he's scared that they're going to die because yeah. they're really close to all this violence and carnage. And he's kind of like, okay, I'll tell you my half of the secret. If you tell me your half of the secret in case one right? of us dies. Yeah. In case one of us dies. Cause you know, no reason for this to have been for nothing. And they do sort of <laughs> Tuco tells him it's half of the secret straight up. And then, uh, later Blondie that. says arch Stanton yeah. is the name on the grave. And then he lights the fuse as he's saying it. And Tuco's like, Oh shit. And they, <laughs> they run <laughs> away. Um, so this is fun. Obviously, in, in terms of the movie, the bridge blows up. The captain is happy. And everything is cool. Great explosion on the bridge, by the way. Yeah. But in the context of filmmaking, this was a pain in the ass because they built the bridge. OK, mm -hmm. the production crew. And then they fucked up and blew it up before the cameras were rolling. Because there was some kind of language miss up, like miscue. And uh, someone thought the dude said start as opposed to like, we're ready to go or something like that. Mm, you know, a, yeah. a mix up with the language. They blow up the fucking bridge. And then they're like, fuck. There's our shot. We need to do it again. And get it right this time. Oh, so no. they rebuild the bridge. And it's it's like it's not like a prop. They built it like for real. Like they actually built a bridge. Okay. I'm not sure why, but they wanted the effect to be exactly as it would be if you were blowing up a bridge. They wanted it to look like that and not like prop plywood or whatever yeah so for whatever reason here we go again and then they blow it up the second time they actually film it that time thankfully <laughs> didn't have to do it a third time and uh hooray they got the shot it looks fucking great i gotta say you know however different it would be if it was cheap wood or an actual bridge i can't personally say but it's a damn good explosion And uh, also, if you look closely during the bridge explosion scene, 
you could see Clint Eastwood almost get fucking annihilated by a piece of shrapnel the size of a fist that nearly misses him and he when he ducks. Uh, that was real. That was real shrapnel that could have uh, put a fist-sized hole in Clint Eastwood's head. Thankfully, he didn't die. Uh, almost killing the actors seems to be a theme of this movie. I don't think Lee Van Cleef had any near-death experiences, thankfully, but he wasn't really near any crazy stunts like uh, the other two were. But, uh, hey, maybe be careful. (laughs) Have you considered such a thing, filmmakers? I don't know. Doesn't seem like it. Yeah, then they uh, so they, then they get away from the bridge. They get across. Yes. Along the way, but, Eastwood uh, gets his poncho. Yeah, dying dude. soldier just lets him take a few. All right, so here's the the thing. This is supposed to be like, <laughs> this is one of the few things in the movie that doesn't work for me. Because there's one little detail that, like, just throws it off for me. So this dude's supposed to be dying, and Eastwood's supposed to, like, put his coat on him to keep him warm while he dies. You know, it's supposed to be, like, you know, something that cements him as the good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it mostly works, but there's this little bit where, like, he looks at the wound the guy has, and he puts his fucking finger in it. And I'm like, what the fuck, Clint? <laughs> It'd be all the way I'm good. Just like, I'm just like, what are you? Why are you torturing the guy before you're nice to him? Like, you can't just be nice to him. I don't understand what the point of that was. <laughs> Maybe just to see if he can fix it or not. But like, oof. <laughs> Bad. Anyway, but, uh, while he's being a nice person, Tuco runs away. Yep. Because there's a horse there. Running, oh yeah, he wants. Yeah, he just runs. And uh, he's trying to get to the cemetery before Blondie. What an asshole. Who would have guessed? But uh, conveniently, there's a cannon right there. <laughs> Blondie just yeah, lights it with yeah, his cigar. Sure uh-huh. Oh, it's such a good little moment where he lights it with his cigar. It's so badass. And then just like, of course, it like goes off right next to Tuco. Yep. Wow. I guess, Almost... guess he has sharpshooter aim even with cannons, I guess. One of the most uh-huh. inaccurate versions of artillery ever created <laughs> yeah but he's just like you know hit triangle and did that uh you know uh <laughs> dead eye vision or whatever you know but uh cannons uh, kind of shoot shoot Tuco uh, right into the cemetery and here it goes yep quite possibly one of the best pieces of music ever made plays it's called The Ecstasy of Gold by Ennio Morricone. It's the best. It's my favorite piece of music that he's done. It's, and it's, it's my, one of my favorite pieces of film score right, I've ever heard in my right. life. It, it's my personal uh, favorite excellent. piece of film score ever, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Uh, it's so good that like it's, it's just been cemented in pop culture and has been used in various other contexts. Uh, 
one of my favorites um, is in a film that's nothing like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, uh, Jackass Number 2. Uh, they use this for the opening where our, the entire cast is running away from bulls and it works quite well. <laughs> uh, I think another like big thing is uh, Metallica uses this piece of music. Uh, they play it as the band walks onto the stage at the beginning of concerts. I don't know if they still do this, but they at least used to, which is kind of fucking badass. That they like, you know, this metal band plays this piece of music because they think it's cool enough to walk out to before they play any of their shit. That's kind of neat. And obviously this this whole bit that's following here has been parodied to death in pop culture. Just. It's great. The shootout that's about to happen. I mean, like this part is kind of just Tuco going fucking nuts. Yeah, I love looking. I love the crazily. Yeah, I love. Yeah, it's really fucking great. It's super dizzying and disorienting. Yeah, 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 it's what they're trying to convey because there's so many graves around there and they're making the camera spin around like, oh, it's all looks the same and it's hard to find. So eventually stumbles upon the the, the, uh, Arch Stanton grave. Well, something that's fucking crazy to me is um, the cemetery here was built. This wasn't a real cemetery. Holy shit. Uh, they made this shit. Hundreds of Spanish soldiers were hired to build it. And just there's thousands of gravestones. Like it's a, like it looks real. Uh, but for whatever reason, just Leone's vision was this just giant spiral of graves. And then in the middle is this like fucking Roman circus that the trio would duel in that like little arena. And it's a weird design that they couldn't find a location. Like, like I would just assumed from watching it that they found a cool location. They were like, we got to film here, but no, they made this, which is crazy as shit to me. It is crazy. I, I don't understand. Uh, this seems like a lot of work, um, but I appreciate it because it gave us one of the best, looking final chunks of a movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Basically like this cemetery set is incredible and the little arena in the center is great too. Um, this is basically the entire like last half hour of the movie, which is a lot of time dedicated to this one location. And the events that happen here are very short to describe but again, you have that drawn out Leone style that gives a lot of tension and flavor to the events and draws them out to a ridiculous extreme, but for a good reason. But anywho, finds the grape, Arch Stanton. Yep. And he starts digging up this person. Let's go. Yep, and then uh, all of a sudden a shovel gets thrown right in front of him as he's digging. Oh, <laughs> Might be easier with that. Yeah, it's Blondie. Clint Eastwood there. What are you going to do? Uh-oh. So then he you know, grabs a shovel. Duke grabs a shovel, starts digging. Then a second shovel gets thrown. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I don't know. This somehow surprises even Eastwood. Uh, by the looks of it, but boom, it's Angel Eyes. 
So our three main characters are together in this one scene at the end of the movie. I don't think they've all been on screen at the same shot until like this ending here. Yeah. Like, like most of their scenes were separate for sure. So here we are. And, uh, and, uh, Eastwood has a revelation that changes things for angel eyes. And that is, that's yeah, not the grave. Right, yeah. white's not digging. It's like, cause there's nothing in there. It kicks up the grave open. I lied. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tuco's pretty pissed about that. <laughs> you think I tell you the truth? <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how true this is. So put an asterisk, uh, that says potentially not true under this one because this is an imdb fact so hmm put on your hmm caps and go hmm at this uh factoid here the skeleton in this grave of arch stanton is a real skeleton it is not a prop it is a real skeleton of a woman who wished for her uh, remains to act even after she was dead and couldn't act anymore. That was her personal wishes. So here she is in multiple films, including this one, as a skeleton. Uh, That is the fact from imdb.com. If Mm. you choose to believe it, Mm. I choose to instead go... Hmm. <laughs> I don't know about that one, Chief. <laughs> if I find out anything further, I'll let you guys know. But for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my my thumb and finger under my head, under my chin, and go hmm. And and that's all I have to say about that. Anyway, let's get to the end of this movie because it's the best shit ever. Yep. And. And so now Blondie's like, all right, I'm going to write the name of this place, the name of the actual grave, on the bottom of this rock. Let's have a standoff. Fair is fair. Yep. They go to the big center here that they made. He sets the rock in the center, and they stand on three different sides of it. And you get your typical long-winded Leone tension builder. Lots of close-ups of eyes. The music swells and bursts. Uh, it like really without the music, this would probably look silly. Yeah, it just keeps cutting back and forth to people. Um, this is the birth of so many scenes in pop culture. This yeah. scene, the Mexican standoff, if you will. But even in stuff as far away from this spaghetti western as I don't know anime you can see the influence of this scene where just like two or three opposing forces and it just cuts back and forth between them like (laughs) the part where it cuts back and forth very quickly between all the characters anime is fuck dude (laughs) because like these tropes are used to this day because it's fucking cool man people knew Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's it's like I think they stare at each other for like five minutes. Yeah, I'm not sure how long it actually is, but it feels like a long time. And the whole time you're just wondering what the fuck's going to happen. Yep. Unless you've already seen the movie, 
in which case, you know, you're just waiting for Eastwood to to kill Van Cleef. <laughs> they both shoot him. No, they don't. Don't. That's right. No, nah, Tuco's gun ain't fucking loaded because Eastwood's an that's asshole. That's right. That's right. He goes to fire and it doesn't work, and Eastwood just kills him. Yeah. But Tuco's like, you fucker. What did you do with my gun? The guy unloaded it last night. I wasn't going to give you a loaded gun. Like, it's it's such a good, like, subversion of what's happened so far where, you know, Eastwood never trusted Tuco one bit. But Tuco had that kind of, like, vulnerable moment where he was like, let's tell each other our half of the secret in case we die. But even faced with that, Clint didn't tell his half of the secret. He lied. And he unloaded his gun before that. So uh, I guess kudos to him for thinking five steps ahead with his galaxy brain plan here. And uh, I wish so but it actual, is really cool. I wish actual Clint Eastwood had a galaxy brain. He'd stop voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> he, he does have a galaxy brain that makes him think that chairs are Barack Obama. But, uh, you know, <laughs> man, remember that? I wish I didn't. But uh-huh. I do. I wish. <laughs> but anyway. So then he has uh, this, this great line from Blondie. It's like, there's people who have floating guns, and there's people who dig. You dig. Also the reveal that uh, he didn't write anything on the rock that has the name on it. Because the, aim, the name is unknown. It's the unmarked grave, basically. It was right next so, to Right next to Arch Stanton, which is what Bill Carson told him. So that's how he knew Arch Stanton and to lie. So, Tuco digs it up, finds the gold. Now, to Clint Eastwood Blondie's credit, he leaves Tuco gold. He leaves him some, right? Yeah, except he hung him and having him balance on top of a... Well, yeah, but he doesn't really kill him. It's just to fucking make Tuco fucking psyched out and think he's gonna die. Which is, I think, his revenge for everything that Tuco's done to him leading up to this. Yeah. You know, because he made, you know, him do the same thing way earlier in the movie. So he makes him stand up, put the noose on. He's hanging right above the fucking gold. And uh, he rides all the way out with a bunch of the gold, leaving some for Tuco. And then he shoots the noose down. Yeah. And then we get the, uh, you know, iconic lines to end the movie where he's just like blondie. You know what you are. You're nothing but a son of a... And he doesn't say bitch because just the... the I, I, uh, from the score plays, which is great. <laughs> the film self-censored itself, which maybe it had to do in 1967. I'm not sure. But I don't know. I think they said shit earlier in this movie. They did. So I don't know. And there's lots of murder. So who knows if they were allowed to say bitch or nothing, not. Nothing wrong with an extraordinary amount of murder, but if you say the bad word... Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. 
but it's a good moment either way because that score is great. So then I, th- I think it freeze frames on Tuco here. Yeah, just show the bad, the ugly, the bad. So yeah, and I love the shot of Lee Van Cleef, like because he he dies and falls in the open grave, which is fucking hysterical. But like the shot of him in the grave where it says the bad is really good. Yeah, it's excellent because <laughs> like that's what happens if you're the bad, I guess. <laughs> and then you know Eastwood rides away, and that's the end of the movie. What a fucking classic. It's so good. This is probably like the fourth time I've seen it all the way through. There's been various times where I've watched just like scenes, but uh, all the way through this is probably my fourth time. And you know what? It 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 gets better every time for me. Movie just I love slaps, this fucking dude. movie. This movie just slaps. Yeah. It slaps so fucking hard. It might be the best movie we've ever watched on this fucking show. It's it's at least uh, close. I, I don't I, I don't, don't know, know if it's better than Alien. Comes close. <sighs> yeah, Alien's pretty good. Right. Halloween's pretty good. Uh, yeah, pretty I guess much... we'll hash this out on our yeah, next so episode. We're to be pretty fair, much spoiling <laughs> our S tier, but. <laughs> but anyway, you know. So let's get into the post movie because there is a little bit to talk about here that's interesting. Like the other two dollars films, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly was a financial success. 6.3 mil in Italy, 25.1 in America. Eastwood made some bank there with that 10% deal, but not a critical one. It was not a critical success. Uh, with its violence and tone, once again, torn apart by critics. But eventually, just like the other two films, its legacy would be cemented as one of the best Westerns of all time, if not one of the best films of all time in the good, the bad and the ugly's case. Our, our good pal, Roger Ebert in a retrospective review of the film said his initial review. He just, he quote described a four star movie, but only gave it three stars, perhaps because it was a spaghetti Western. And so could not be art. But he eventually changed his mind and he put it on his list of greatest movies of all fucking time, as it well should fucking be on a list of. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody is, you know, everybody makes their money and his friends and everything's hunky dory. By the end of filming this third film, Clint Eastwood had grown sick of Sergio Leone's directing style. Leone was very precise and meticulous when it came to shots and details. It shines through in the movie. And Eastwood was exhausted by it. Like it, they, they would uh, do several takes of shots, taking tons of time, and he just hated it. Eastwood was exhausted, and he, he coped with the stress by making fun of Sergio Leone. Uh, he nicknamed him Yosemite Sam due to his temperament on set. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, Leone doesn't really know how Clint feels about him. In 1968, Leone flies all the way to L.A. to give Clint a script for a fourth Spaghetti Western, this one titled Once Upon a Time in the West. And he offers Eastwood the role of the harmonica playing man in the film. 
Eastwood turns him down, says never again. And uh, I think this really, really pissed Sergio Leone off. And ironically, the role would go to Charles Bronson, who previously said no to Sergio Leone to be uh, who Clint is <laughs> in these films. Um, and he turned him down again for the second one to be Lee Van Cleef's character. And I think Charles Bronson turned him down a third time to be in, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. But at the time, I think he was filming The Dirty Dozen, so it made sense, I think. Yeah. But... uh you know, then Bronson was like, okay, sure, to be in Once Upon the West. But that was a role that was going to go to Clint Eastwood. Kind of ironic. So, Leone would years later publicly shit on Eastwood's acting abilities uh, during an interview for his final film, Once Upon a Time in America, starring Robert De Niro. Uh, Leone said the following, quote, Eastwood moves like a sleepwalker between explosions and hails of bullets, and he is always the same, a block of marble. Bobby, uh, referring to Robert De Niro, first of all, is an actor. Clint, first of all, is a star. Bobby suffers. Clint yawns. End quote. <laughs> so their relationship uh, really fucking soured there. And Eastwood never worked with him again. But their brief partnership made three of the best Westerns of all time and helped cement Eastwood as a star and like one of the best Western characters or best characters in general in cinema. The man with no name, probably super iconic. You know, everybody knows about it inspiring countless other characters and an archetype for Westerns as a whole. Now, Vincenzoni, who also had a falling out with Leone, tried to make a sequel to this movie, which doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> the, the potential sequel to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, called The, the Good, The Bad, and The Ugly 2, uh, found Tuco pursuing Blondie's grandson for gold. Now, uh, if you wanted someone to direct a sequel to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, who would you choose, Justin? Single, a single per... What do you mean? Say it again? I think I <laughs> if you anything. wanted to choose somebody to direct a sequel to The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, who would you choose? I would pick Sergio Leone or nobody else. That's right. You would choose the director of Gremlins 2, Joe Dante. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they were trying to do. <laughs> now, like, let, let me tell you something. I love Gremlins and I love Gremlins 2 with all my heart. But they are th that does not mean that he could just make anything. No. <laughs> I have no clue what crack they were smoking in trying to make this fucking movie. This seems like the worst idea in history. A good, the bad and the ugly sequel directed by the gremlins man with no influence from Leone. Now Leone still had some rights here and he vetoed the fuck out of this idea. He said he didn't want to produce a sequel to this movie and he wasn't interested in Westerns at this point in his career anyway. So it was shelved forever. 
and there it will remain. Thank God. Now, Hollywood sucks. So how long do you think it'll be until they try to mine the legacy of these films for some kind of franchise reboot from hell? I hope not. I don't know, man. I Westerns, don't don't really, Westerns don't really sell anymore. That's kind of true. I don't think that I don't think they'll ever approach these, at least for a very long time. At the very least, their style and their influence has led to some great things in the modern era. Things like the Red Dead Redemption games, uh, and, and and some modern films that I really like. There's some good modern westerns that come out here and there. Um, I can't speak for everyone, but I was a big fan of that uh, that fucking. Uh, cannibal one we watched yeah. uh, around Halloween. I'm trying to remember the fucking name of it, and I can't. Uh, it was great. Damn it, what the hell was the name of that one? Kurt Russell? Yeah. Shit, I feel like an idiot that I can't remember the name of the movie that I'm saying was good. One second. I will get this. Kurt Russell Cannibal Western. Oh, it's Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. That's a good-ass fucking yeah, it's movie. it's a great movie. I enjoyed it And even lot. stuff like, you know, Tarantino's westerns are good and clearly inspired by spaghetti westerns oh, because yeah, that was his fucking jam. Uh, and, you know, it even goes as far as, like, something like Star Wars. You know, like, George Lucas was like, I like westerns, and I like Kurosawa, and hell, Leone liked Kurosawa. We know that. He just fucking copied one of his movies. <laughs> and uh, let me just mix it all up and, and make a space movie. Because I also like Flash Gordon. And then you get, like, the biggest franchise of all time out of that shit. Right. Uh, you know, it, their, their influence is pretty unparalleled, these movies. They changed the genre they spawned out of completely. Yeah. Altered it forever. Yeah. But I'm super glad they ain't going to make a fucking sequel. And the last thing I'll talk about is, uh, so the reason this movie is three hours long is interesting because it wasn't initially, it was closer to like, I want to say like two thirty, two hours, 35 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Um, which is a little more palatable. I, I don't personally mind a long movie. I'm all for a long movie. I don't care, especially if I can pause it and go about business in between the edges. But I could see how some people could be daunted by the fact that this movie's three hours long. But the current cut that we're used to, and the only one that I think I've ever seen, but I'm not entirely certain of that because I don't remember this movie being three hours before. So maybe I saw a prior cut at some point. Uh, came about in 2002. There was about 15 minutes or so of removed scenes that were restored to be in the movie again. And it's interesting. I never knew this happened, but they've been added to the movie again, but they were never in the theatrical cut. So these scenes needed a dub. They, they didn't have dialogue done for them because they were never supposed to be in the movie for the theatrical cut in the first place. So Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach returned to provide new voiceover for these missing scenes, like nearly 35 years or whatever it would be after the fact. And you can kind of tell in a couple scenes, because like, for instance, one of the scenes that they added 
was the scene where uh, Tuco goes to get the rest of his gang in that like cave or whatever, that well or whatever. That's not in the theatrical cut. That's added. And he kind of does sound different in that scene, doesn't he? So little things like that you could notice. Lots of like little scenes that I could see them cutting to trim a runtime. You know, like Lee Van Cleef going to the Confederate camp. Uh, Tuco talking to his buddies. Little things here and there. Uh, the visit to the other Confederate camp on the way to the monastery. These are all added to the movie. Um, now, Lee Van Cleef was dead by then. He died in 1989. So his dialogue was done by a completely different fucking person, Simon Prescott. Uh, I think he did a pretty good job because, you know, you listen to him in that scene at that Confederate camp. He doesn't sound any different. Uh, This is the version that's on Netflix. It's the most common version shown on things like TCM now. Uh, But... I have seen some criticism from people who prefer the theatrical cut. And the reasoning behind this is the sound effects are different in this version. And some people prefer the old sound effects, the old gunshot noises and such. Um, And there's also the fact that Sergio Leone was dead before they did this. And While most of these scenes were mandated cuts by the studio to trim the runtime, some of them might have been done by Sergio Leone himself. And in that case, you're making a director's cut without the director's fucking input. Right. And that's kind of and that's kind of fucked up. Now, I don't know what scenes he would have cut and which scenes he wouldn't have. And I think the film as it is with these added scenes is quite good. And I I think they add a lot of character. I wouldn't take them out. I like these little scenes. But it is weird (laughs) that this is just like it's replaced the initial version of this movie completely. Um, and no one's complained about it as far as I know, you know, people really get up in arms over this kind of shit, but I guess it's like in a way that it doesn't take anything away from the original experience. It just adds stuff, which is cool. Um, if that was all the fucking extended special editions of star Wars was nobody would have complained ever, but instead they changed the movie forever (laughs) and, uh, for the worse, but, uh, I, I, you know, I think they finally re-released it theatrically, like the theatrical cut on a recent Blu-ray. It has both versions that you can watch on there. So that's also good. You know, preserve film history. Um, I I think I probably would prefer it with these additional scenes, to be honest. Yeah, it's fine. Even though it even though it makes it longer. I I just I think it's cool. Fine. It's fine. It's an epic. You know, it should be really fucking long because it is. There's a lot of shit that happens. Like, I don't mind it. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. All right. Well, that'll about do it for that. Clearly, this is the best of the three. Um, I'd say they kind of get better as they go, right? Right. I think so, too. Three, two, one on this. Yep. I'm good with that. They're all quite good. You know, amazing movies. The gap between best and worst is very slim.
but clearly like, you know, good, the bad and the ugly is going to be the best. There's no way. <laughs> Great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're doing a two weeker. We're doing yeah. a two week break we'll while Justin break gets situated. While I move into my new abode. Yeah. Get everything settled out and get everything set up. And then we're do technical stuff set up. So our audio will sound clearer on Gen's end. And we'll have some kind of visual component of our tier list as we make it as well. So I, I assume you can check that out on YouTube or something yeah, we when are, we do it. We are likely going to live stream it as we're doing. Nice. Uh, we'll we'll get the word out when that's happening on yeah. the Twitter and and, and about. I don't um, think I'm gonna make a Twitch page for the Get and Jump Show because we're only gonna use it this one time. So we'll probably just stream it off my Twitch. Yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll advertise it with your thingy or whatever you want to advertise is probably a strong word. I will post about it on Twitter. Yeah, get the word out um, there. Know the word <laughs> and that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to doing Gen and Jub in a very different way. Uh, and also, I'm looking forward to doing a tier list of all these movies because I think that's going to be chaos, and I can't wait. That's what we're doing for our 100th episode. We're ranking all the movies that we've seen so far, which is 101 movies. I don't know how we did that in 99 episodes, but we did. There's a Halloween episode where we did two movies. I think there's also a Terminator episode where we did two movies. So that's probably how. That was a bad one. <laughs> that was a bad time because we had to talk about Salvation and then Genesis, if I remember correctly. Ouch, oof, ouch. I'm going right. to give you a little preview. Those will probably be in D tier or F tier. <laughs> All right, I think that'll do it for us. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end this fucker before this, this episode gets as long as the good and the bad and the ugly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it ain't even close. Uh, but we a, could just it's have... It's about a half hour off. <laughs> we could just have a moment where we pretend to stare at each other for 15 minutes with no dialogue to close out this episode, if you yeah, want. Yeah, you ready? Go ahead. Okay. We need some trumpets in the background to make it work, though. Oh no, I shot Genhard. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn. All right, man. I'm dead. See you next time. <laughs>